News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. For almost a year and a half, the border with the United States has been closed, so most of us haven't been doing a lot of traveling. That changes this morning. The restrictions are loosening, but that doesn't mean it is a free-for-all by any means. So let's find out what you need to know if you're thinking of taking a trip. David Aiken is with us this morning, our Global News Chief Political Correspondent. Good morning, David. Good morning, Simi. And I'll tell you, the first thing that you need to know if you're planning a trip, there's no trip to take because both Canada and the United States still do not want non-essential travel. That's tourists. So if you're thinking of running down to Washington State to shop or Oregon to buy some wine, I don't know, forget it. It's non-essential travel in the United States is still banned, and we don't want non-essential travel here. The only thing that's really changed this morning, it's a baby step and an important one, is that fully vaccinated Canadians returning to Canada don't have to quarantine. Yesterday, if you returned, you had to do 14 days of quarantine. If you flew into Vancouver International, you were doing the uh, quarantine hotel for three days. Well, if you're a fully vaccinated Canadian, you don't have to do those quarantines. Lots of other things you have to do. you got to get tested before you leave, tested when you arrive. You, It's mandatory that you use the Arrive Can app on your smartphone. Not optional, mandatory. And you have to enter all sorts of information into that app including a copy or digital copy of your vaccination certificate. And one other thing, too, Simi, that's important for people is if they might think I'm fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated, but only with Canadian-approved vaccines. I spoke to a woman last week, a Canadian in the Philippines, and in the Philippines, the only vaccine option there is the Sputnik vaccine. So this Canadian in the Philippines, fully vaccinated with Sputnik, but if that woman arrives in a Canadian border, she'll be considered unvaccinated because Sputnik is not approved for use here in Canada. Is that, does the same thing apply then to all Americans who have, say, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Uh, here's the thing. Even though it's fully vaccinated Canadians can come in the country, and I asked the Prime Minister, well, why couldn't fully vaccinated Americans come in the country? They can't. Oh, right. Uh, only, only, non, only essential travelers. So the Johnson & Johnson, to answer your question, is approved. And if you were a Canadian and you got the Johnson & Johnson and say, right. you know, uh, California, you're fine. But a fully vaccinated American cannot come into the country. And this is where the politics comes into play, because a lot of tourist operators say, well, how is a fully vaccinated Canadian no risk to public health? I mean, they can come in without quarantine, but a fully vaccinated American is such a risk to public health, we have to ban them. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense by the science. And in fact, the scientists advising the, advising the federal government on their special um, uh, panel of, of epidemiologists, you name it, they say you don't really need to break people out based on their nationalities. Uh, you know, have different restrictions based on their vaccine status. And so they've recommended a month ago that, yes, fully vaccinated Americans should be able to uh, deal with the same restrictions or mm-hmm. non-restrictions as fully vaccinated Canadians. But that's not the case. And it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon either. Okay, so this is step one, then. What do we know about the potential for step two? Very little. The government, and we've asked time and time again, uh, the prime minister and border officials, you know, when, what are the benchmarks? You know, is there a certain number of uh, case counts in Canada, vaccination rates in the United States? And the best they can do is over the weekend in an obscure government uh, publishing system called the Canada Gazette, the government basically said they're not willing to really open up that border till 75% of Canadians 
are fully vaccinated. 75% fully vaccinated on this side. And right now, Sammy, I think we're what, not even at 30% fully vaccinated? Yeah. So that's going to be a while. And that sort of implies, you know, the tourist season is not going to happen until the end of the summer at the very earliest, it seems. So not a lot of word from the government on on when it's going to happen. It definitely wants to see lots more Canadians fully vaccinated before there's any more easing of that border. So right now, that Canada-U.S. border, the restrictions pretty much all all remain. Non-essential travel forbidden into the U.S., and non-essential travel by Canadians is uh, strongly discouraged. Okay, so and again, you pointed out the things that people need to know. This isn't just go ahead and take a trip and come back and everything is fine. You still have to jump through some hoops here. Right. So again, test before you test before right. you come back in. Test as soon as you come back in. Um, you have to have that Arrive Can app. That's so important. And again, it's mandatory, and there'll be lots of information you'll have to give it. Bring your paper copy of your of your vaccine certificate as well. That's important to have the paper copy that backs up the digital copy. And one other thing, Simi, too, I've had a lot of people ask, well, uh, you know, I, I've had a, a, a Canadian couple with kids in California, mm-hmm. but the kids are underage. They haven't been vaccinated. The, the parents are fully vaccinated. Right. What do you do then? Here's the rule on that. That family can come to Canada with mom and dad fully vaccinated. They can skip the quarantine. Everybody, the family and the kids, don't have to go into the government quarantine hotel. But the kids have to quarantine at home for 14 days. Mom and dad don't. Mom can leave the house. Dad can leave the house. But the kids, they have to shut down for two weeks. They'll have to get another test on day eight. So it is possible for kids to come with their vaccinated parents back across the border, but the kids will have to quarantine. And, of course, again, we don't yet have any vaccines approved for use in Canada on kids under 12. Um, so until we get those, this is this is the way it's going to be if for kids traveling with fully vaccinated Canadian parents. All right. Thank you for explaining it all to us this morning, David. No problem. Cheers. That's David Aiken, our Global News Chief Political Correspondent, breaking down what you need to know about the lifting of some border restrictions today. As you heard, some, not all, not a free-for-all. It's still pretty tricky out there, so make sure you know all the rules if you're thinking about planning a trip. Now, right now here in BC, what we're adjusting to, I think, most of all, is the fact that masks are no longer mandatory. Recommended, but not mandatory. That was as of July the 1st. So I'm asking you this morning, what have you seen over the weekend now that we've had a couple of days with these new rules? Are people sticking with it? Because I had a feeling that most people still would. Or are you seeing people who are just, forget this, I'm out of here. I'm not wearing this mask anymore. So email me, simi at cknw.com, and let me know what you're seeing when you're out and about, or what did you see over the weekend when you were out and about, stores, you know, out on the street, wherever it was. You can also call our buzz line, 604-331-2899. Gary emailed me and said, you know, Simi, we went shopping at a major grocery store a couple of times since July 1st, and every customer had a mask on. The only one with no masks were the cashiers, Gary said. Now, Paul said, and said, thank you, welcome back, Paul. From He said to me from vacation, thank you very much, Paul, that's very kind of you. He said, we were out and about on the weekend. We noticed over 90% of people still wore masks. He said that was great to see. He feels that the people who didn't wear masks looked a bit anxious and out of place. He said, I caught a lot of them glancing at others. You could tell what they were thinking, like, geez, I should be wearing one as well, maybe. Not sure how long this will last, he said, but for 
me and my family, according to Paul. He said mask wearing will be a part of our day-to-day activities for some time to come. So Paul's family is sticking with it. How about you? Email me, simi at cknw.com or call that buzz line, 604-331-2899. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, we know that BC needs help. We've got about close to 200 wildfires burning all over the province. And this is early in wildfire season, right? BC's resources are being taxed to the limit on this. So we know that help is on the way. You've got something like 100 or so firefighters arriving from the provinces of Ontario and New Brunswick. They are expected to be here today in the province and right away will be jumping in. But there's also been a request made to get the federal government to pitch in and help out here too. That means military resources. How quickly can we expect to see something there? You know, I know that military personnel are being moved to Alberta to get closer to us. So when will the federal government uh, get those resources into BC, get that help coming? Let's find out. Joining us now is Canada's Public Safety Minister, Bill Blair. Thank you for being with us this morning. Of course. Good morning, Simon. What is the status of help for BC when it comes to the wildfires? I'm, I'm advised that the Canadian Armed Forces uh, resources will be deployed today. We began staging those assets in, in our discussions earlier in the week or last week with, with the uh, BC officials. And, and we were ready to move as soon as the request for approval was received. Um, and I'm advised that those resources will be deployed in British Columbia t- effective today. Okay, so what kind of resources are we talking about? It's primarily air transport, but, but as well, there's as, as many as 355 uh, military personnel who will be available for, you know, to provide support primarily around <clears throat> logistics, the movement of material and people, um, air, air support, uh, uh, helicopter and plane to transport and move people um, as, as required by the BC officials. Is this something that happens fairly often? I know it seems to me that it's not often that federal government help is asked for when it comes to fighting wildfires, but does this show you what a bad year this is so far? Yeah, we knew it was going to be a bad year, Simi, and, and, and you know, we've, we've been working very closely with uh, emergency management in British Columbia. Um, I've been in regular contact with Mr. Farnworth uh, in NBC, and our officials are, are meeting even hourly um, in preparation for this. We We knew that the risk was elevated this year. It was, it was going to be, a, you know, a potentially risk, uh, bad fire season. The heat event that took place in, 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 in BC last week, I think, contributed negatively to it. But now, there's now, for example, 168 wildfires burning, 13 of them um, considered, you know, fire, fires of note. Um, it, it does reflect the planning and, and the, the, the risk analysis that, that had gone into it. So we've been working very closely together to, to be ready to deploy for what we anticipated was going to be a difficult fire season. Right. And we know also there are questions about how some fires started as well. Um, that, that's a case definitely in the community of Lytton, where the town was 90% destroyed. And there are concerns that it was sparked by a, a train coming through town. Is that a federal government area that will be investigated? Well, it, 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 first of all, it's the police of jurisdiction, but of course, in this, in this case, the RCMP are, are investigating the cause of this fire transport. Canada safety officials and inspectors are in the, in the, in the town working with, with the police to determine you know, that investigation. So, I, mean, I, I can't speculate on the outcome of that investigation. I, I think it's noteworthy that there are 168 fires currently burning in B.C., uh, but, there, but an investigation is taking place to determine... Um, the, the cause of the fire in Lytton and, and, you know, the tragic results and, you know, the, the, so much damage and, and, and the tragic loss of life that, that occurred there. 
Um, the police are actively investigating that. It's difficult to even get into the, to the scene, but the, the police, fire services, and Transparent Canada are on scene and they're conducting an investigation. Okay, so we know that resources are arriving today. Is there, if it's needed, will there be more resources? Is this uh, something as long as BC needs it, there will be help? Yeah, and, and, and let me be very clear on that. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I, would, I would take the opportunity, first of all, to acknowledge um, BC has one of the, the, the most capable wildfire uh, fighting capacity of, of, of any of our provinces, perhaps anywhere in the world. And, and so we're, we're working very closely with them. Um, frankly, what they need is, is what we'll come with and, and, and help in every way that we possibly can. Uh, we, we've already pretty, we're fully engaged with the province. Uh, Transport Canada is, is, is looking at you know, all the rail safety issues. Uh, the National Resource, uh, National Resource Canada is, is doing mapping with the BC officials and, and, and risk assessment. Um, the Indigenous Services Canada is engaged with, with the First Nations across the province who are uh, being impacted by these fires to make sure that the appropriate supports are there and that we're fully engaged with them as well. So, this is, frankly, all orders of government, federal, provincial, and territorial, and the First Nations are all working very, very closely together in response in response to the, to the, the threat that these wildfires represent to, to the province. All right, Minister Blair, thank you for your time on that this morning. Of course, Amy. Thank you very much. Bill Blair is a public safety minister for the federal government talking about the federal support that BC can expect and will be getting starting today for fighting wildfires around the province. There will be military support on that, including a lot of air personnel, something like 350 military personnel uh, showing up today to start pitching in and helping out. And that is in addition to the 100 firefighters arriving from Ontario and New Brunswick who will also be pitching in to help out. And listen, it is all hands on deck. Everything is needed. You still have some out of con- pretty big out-of-control wildfires there. This is Mornings with Simi. Couldn't help but notice on the weekend how busy local and regional parks were. In fact, Metro Vancouver's Twitter feed uh, was was essentially telling people, please don't come to the parks. I mean, the parking lots were full. People were parking on the side of the road and they said, you know what? Enough. No more. And this was at like a lunchtime yesterday. So our regional parks are jam-packed. Our local parks are jam-packed. You've got the, you know, the heat wave. The heat continues, even though it's not at the levels that we saw a week ago, but still pretty hot out there. And then you've got wildfires. So add up all those things. You've got a lot for firefighters to deal with. And especially if so many people are in parks, you know, maybe you're starting a wildfire inadvertently for whatever reason. Firefighters have enough to worry about right now. Let's not give them more. Joining us is Gord Ditchburn, president of the BC Professional Firefighters Association. Gord, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Simi. Is there a concern, do you think, out there that with so many people in parks right now and, you know, in their spare time that something might go wrong, they might spark something? Absolutely. Uh, we've, we're, you know, we're coming out of uh, a COVID uh, uh, pent-up enthusiasm, uh, wanting to get out, enjoy the beautiful sunshine, the beautiful surroundings we've got. But our greenery, our parks, our forests are tinder dry. Uh, everybody's wanting to have fun. But we've got to be ultra careful in this. Uh, I personally, I work in uh, in the city of Vancouver, and I work in a district that uh, we go to New Brighton Beach every night for beach fires. In in spite of what's going on, uh, you're not allowed to have a beach fire yet. People ignore the rules, so everybody has got to be vigilant. The slightest spark could set this off. And you think about losing a Stanley Park, you think about losing uh, Pacific Spirit, you think about what happened yesterday in Surrey with, with, the, with the brush fire they had there. 
and it's certainly not trying to be negative and, and down on everybody's fun, but we've got to be ultra careful at this time of year. Gordon, I got to say, I was shaking my head hearing you talk about that. You're saying that even with all this hot weather, people are still going to beaches in at nighttime and lighting beach fires? Yes. Uh, I, like I say, I work in a, in a part of Vancouver that uh, responds to New Brighton. Um, and we have we go down there on a nightly basis uh, for beach fires. Uh, people ignore the signage. They just want to have fun, and I get having fun, but uh, not at the expense of others. And it would just take uh, the wind, a shift in the wind, and you've got an ember that's now moving into uh, the dog park. You've got an ember that's moving towards the grain terminal. That could be catastrophic. People have to be aware of their surroundings. <clears throat> Look how fast Litton happened. It was a simple spark that we're we're finding out uh, from a, from perhaps a train fire, yeah. but how fast a fire moves. And especially with the winds in the summer and the heat, they move incredibly fast, faster than information can get to the next person. And you watch what happened. Um, and again, not to be negative, but people really, really have to be conscious of what they're doing in the, out, in the, out in, the, uh, in, in the areas that they're frequenting. Gordon, I have to ask you, what is the reaction of people when you go up to them and say, listen, you can't have this fire. This is, you can't do this. Well, most people get it. Some are obviously uh, encouraged by some liquid courage. But uh, by and large, most people get it. They go, we just didn't know. And we just simply point to the sign that's 50 feet away and say, yeah. that's there. And, uh, you know, again, we're not trying to be the negative and, and, and come down on people having fun. But people just have to be mindful of where they are. Um, you know, would be, I'm sure any one of those people with having a, a fun beach fire would be devastated if it was their fire that caused uh, a section of, of you know, of greenery to be lost. Look what happened last week with with Wreck Beach. The fires there. They happen so fast. Yeah, it's so true. All right, Gord, thank you so much. We'll get the word out. Thank you. That is Gord Ditchburn, president of the BC Professional Firefighters Association. Still happening. As he said, they're called every night to places like New Brighton Park because someone thinks it's a good idea to have a beach fire. It is not. It is not with these conditions right now. If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. We know wildfires just wreak devastation on communities, right? People's homes, their belongings, their places of work can all be destroyed so quickly, like what we saw happen in Lytton just a few days ago. And for many of us who are fortunate enough to not have to deal with that, your first thought often is, how can I help? What can I do? A lot of different ways you can do that, but I know the United Way is definitely jumping in to do their part. Joining us now is Michael McKnight, the President and CEO of the United Way British Columbia. Michael, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Timmy. So I understand, like, I know United Way is jumping in. What can people expect? What kind of help can the United Way give? Well, you know, tragically, we've we've already seen a loss of life. We've seen devastated communities. There are many wildfires burning throughout our province, and it's only the beginning of summer. Uh, we at United Way are just very worried about what the impact on individuals, families, or, and communities are going to be this summer. So, you know, we've set up a, a fund that will help uh, with um, uh, dealing with the crisis, will help with recovery and rebuilding in communities, because people have lost more than homes. They've lost their community. They've lost that sense of, of connectedness. Um, and we really want to be there with the services and supports that we can to assist people in recovering from, from very traumatic events. Right, because I know people tend to think, oh, I should donate food or I should donate clothing. But what is the most effective means of support right now? 
Well, certainly a donation of cash, uh, monetary donation, uh, that will allow us to meet greatest needs. We've been in contact with municipalities uh, that are uh, have been receiving evacuees. Uh, we know that first and foremost, we'll uh, be there to, to provide food to the evacuees and the first responders. Uh, but beyond that, it's some of the services that uh, we don't necessarily think about, helping people rebuild their mental health. Um, dealing with uh, families who are scattered throughout the province. You know, one of the even simplest things that often people don't th- think about is that kids uh, who were expecting to start summer uh, with a sense of uh, normality coming out of the uh, pandemic uh, now, you know, may not have the things that they were looking forward to. So we're, we're hoping to set up pop-up day camps for kids, uh, for example, to try to give them a sense of, of hope, a uh, sense of uh, some kind of normalcy for, for kids their, their age who are looking forward to fun with peers uh, throughout the rest of the summer. So things that help uh, stabilize, normalize things for, for individuals and families, we think is very important in the recovery process. Right. You help with trauma issues as well, don't you? Oh, you know, these these events are very traumatic. So having mental health uh, supports and services in place is is critical for people. And, uh, you know, we work with local agencies throughout the province to make sure those services are available when they're needed. Uh, Anybody in our province can dial 211 at any time of the day and night and get get connected to a call centre that we helped establish about 10 years ago. And those call centre operators can help connect people to services where they need it in, in the way in which they need it most. So uh, tell me about the fund then. So is this a general fund to help any community that has been impacted by the wildfires? Well, certainly the people of Lytton are first and foremost in our thoughts and our initial investments will go to supporting them. But as we've seen uh, the wildfires grow throughout the province, uh, we hope this fund will allow us to provide services to any community and any family in need. Okay, so where can people get more information, Michael? So uwbc.ca is our website, United Way British Columbia's website. Uh, You'll see a donate button on that website, and you can click on there and donate uh, whatever you feel comfortable donating. We've had, I've been uh, speaking with a couple of corporate and individual donors over the weekend. We've been at United Way have invested an initial $200,000. They hope to to match that money. We really believe we're going to need a significant fund this summer to deal with some of the potentially uh, even bigger tragic events that we might be facing. So are some of the resources in play as of today? Oh, of course. You know, one of the United Way developed, uh, uh, you know, I think a really strong capacity during the pandemic to provide food. We've set up uh, more than 152 local food hubs around uh, the province to date. We'll be expanding those to some of the communities that have been receiving evacuees so that uh, first and foremost, food is available. And then we'll be working with local social service organizations to make sure that the services are in place on a, on a go forward basis to uh, support any families in need this summer. Okay, so then once again, Michael, what is that website? uwbc.ca is our main website and you can see a donate now button on that page all right we'll get that word out there michael thank you thank you so much to me michael mcknight is the president and ceo of the united way british columbia you heard it they are uh, starting they've launched they have launched a wildfire recovery fund for british columbia they do this different united way chapters obviously in different regions do this they have one for oregon for california for washington state but they have one for British Columbia where the money is in use as of today. Uh, they've been there over the weekend helping communities like those who of the people of Lytton who are just devastated with their losses. So they
they, you know, they're looking for any kind of donation that you can make. Again, check out the United Way BC's website for more information on how you can jump in. There's a number of different organizations too. Even the BC SPCA is helping out too, right? Because there were animals left behind that are going to need help and assistance. There's all sorts of different ways for people to be able to pitch in.